Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins, and we are gearing up for South by Southwest. And so this podcast is a little preview of a film that we'll be playing there, opening the festival, as well as an overview of how you can be approaching the festival from a networking perspective, from a career perspective. Uh, so first, I spoke with Ella Glendinning, director, and the main subject of Is There Anybody Out There? Her film opens South by Southwest next weekend. But when we spoke, it was during the film's world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. Ella was born with a disability so rare that no reliable statistics for it exist. And in the film, Ella wonders if there's anybody out there who can share the experience of living in a body like hers. So this simple question, which non-disabled people so often take for granted, leads Ella and us as an audience on a journey to not only others who live like her, but to the realization that meeting them changes how she sees herself in this world, as well as many surprises to come on this journey. And Ella opened up with us in a way that was incredibly vulnerable, but also honest about the experience creating this film. And I can't wait for you to see the film, but also hear about how she made it. Then after that, I sat down with cinematographers Loretta Prevo and Laura Valadeo, again at the Sundance Film Festival, uh, but they were fresh in the midst of experiencing the sort of social networking, career networking of it. And they gave such fantastic advice on how to approach festivals from a networking perspective. So I thought it'd be a great way to kick things off so you can start producing your festival if you're heading to South by Southwest in a few weeks or any festival at all, like me. I'll be at the Mammoth Film Festival this weekend. If you're there, hit me up. We also geeked out about everything from working with non-actors from a camera department perspective to shooting in black and white in my hometown, California's Bay Area, to the most iconic, supportive text thread that has led to many, many jobs. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's No Film School interviews. My disability is so rare, I can't find any proper statistics for it. So there is this missing piece of the puzzle in my life, which is that I've never seen another being like me before. And I do feel like a different species. But I have recently discovered this Facebook group for people with similar conditions. And yeah, I guess this could be my chance to finally meet someone like me. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. I'm Gigi Hawkins. I'm here with Ella Glendinning, the director and star of the documentary, Is There Anybody Out There?, that premiered yesterday at Sundance. Uh, we're here talking on a Monday. Welcome, Ella. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Ella, for our listeners who haven't seen the film yet, because it's just playing here at Sundance, uh, can you just give us a quick overview of what the film is about? Yes, thank you. Uh, my film, Is There Anybody Out There?, is a personal documentary about my search for other people with the same rare disability as me. But it's really exploring what it is to 
be disabled in a non-disabled world and it's a comment on ableism and loving yourself as a disabled person so it's very celebratory film I'm excited I'm excited too and I so I watched the film before the festival I got I was very lucky to get a screener and it in your film is incredibly intimate and personal and in the first scene you kind of invite us into your life. You have a scene where you're dancing to Frank Sinatra by Cake. And it, it made me feel like I was with you immediately as a viewer because I've also danced in front of the mirror to my, my equivalent jam. And so it's like you were bringing me in on your journey and it felt that way. And it seemed to come so naturally, you sharing your story in front of the camera. How was it opening up? Was this your first time doing it? What was that experience like? Well, it was... It was very private in that I was mostly video diarying. So um, I don't think it's really hit me until literally now that I have <laughs> really opened up and really exposed myself to the world. But have I done it before? Yeah, I, I have actually. I have acted in some of my short films. Obviously, this is a documentary. But um, yeah, I'm very passionate about ableism and loving yourself as a disabled person. That's a theme in all my work. And I think if I can be a sort of vehicle for communicating that passion, then that's great. And so that's what I did with this film. But yes, I'm feeling so very exposed right now. Oh, well, I'm sure that like, for, again, from a viewing perspective, it's really refreshing to, to view somebody's experience in that vulnerability, because I think in at least in LA where I live, there's so many barriers up all the time. And a lot of the time we're seeing all this content, people making video diaries on TikTok and Instagram, but sometimes it feels performative. I don't know if that makes sense. I didn't get that at all. I felt again, like maybe it was because it was so intimate in the moment. It was you just reflecting for yourself. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Um, It's funny. I don't, I don't do TikTok. Um, so I, I mean, I've seen, obviously I've seen documentaries with video diaries before, but, but not, not heaps of it. So it, yeah, it was very natural and it was strange. Initially it did feel a bit performative when I first began. Like I didn't, I felt almost self-conscious, even though it was just me in my room or whatever. But by the end of it, like it was so, so second nature. I did mm -hmm. it for years and years, just practically every day. And it felt very bizarre to not to be keeping a video diary yeah. <laughs> once the film was done. Did you know that you were making a feature documentary when you started recording? Yes, I did. Um, yeah, I did. And I can't remember. It was it was somebody else's idea. I'm I'm not very technical for a start. And I just thought, and like I don't I don't mind films that feel kind of what's the word? Like hodgepodge. Hodgepodge? Yeah. Hodgepodged together. Yeah. Um so I don't know. Yeah, it just felt like the easiest way to to reflect constantly. Well, um, sorry, I've forgotten your question. No, no, that's all good. Actually, that was one of the things I wanted to bring up yeah. because the the film you there's these video diaries. There's a lot of vertical video in the film, and I it made me feel like empowered to. I'm also not very technical. Cameras intimidate me, and. I, I I sometimes freeze up and stop making something because I will be like, well, I forget what ISO even is. And it's there have been a couple of filmmakers who we've had on the podcast here who have actually kind of, and, and whose films I've seen who have made me feel empowered to create. 
because it's like it doesn't have to be by the books in a traditional way. And your film had that feeling of you said hodgepodge, but to me, I was like, it feels so complete. So it was very like, again, like from a narrative standpoint, I was like so impressed with how the story came together and the journey that that you took us on in in the experience. And, and it uses a all types of formats. You have home videos, you have vertical videos from a phone, you, uh, you introduce your, your cinematographer. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed that part. Thank you so much. That's really nice. Yeah. I'm glad that it feels empowering that, yeah, that's a really nice compliment. I always say, and everyone always laughs at me that I don't think I'm a very visual person considering I'm a filmmaker. Uh, so working with Anne-Marie Lienverko, my cinematographer, who I introduced in the film, was amazing because she is so visual and so intuitive and I barely needed to direct her, to be honest. But I think I am a very, very strong storyteller and I know how to kind of evoke certain emotion, you know, whatever emotion I I want to in my storytelling. So I think that although the video diaries, because I've had my moments of being like, what have I done? Like this vertical video diary, like it's ugly. And, you know, I've, I've heard some people say they're not keen on that element of the film. like visually because the rest is so cinematic but I think it really works in terms of the storytelling. How did you craft the story uh, telling? Was it throughout the process? You also mentioned that there's actually a scene a moment where you say they wanted us to incorporate my partner into the story more and I was like who is they who's telling you this? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's like my favorite bit in the film. It's such a fuck you to, <laughs> to yeah. It, it's a very ableist perspective. Like everybody wants to hear about what it's like to date a disabled person. Mm-hmm. I was never going to make that film, never in a million years. The more, like, I, the more pushback I got, the more people asked me to interview Scott, the more pig-headed I became until I was like, okay. I'm going to make a real statement about this in the film because it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. Like, yes, I have a partner. It's not, it, it just felt so irrelevant and ableist, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. But so are you asking me who? who? Oh, I, I was like, are these producers? Are these mentors from a lab or? No, nobody who's like on my side or involved in the film. It was potential funders, basically. Oh, interesting. I'm so, how satisfying is it that you're here at Sundance premiering your film and you're like, and then you're able to incorporate that into it? feels good yeah it is so satisfying it's still surreal I feel like yeah it's really mind-blowing I'm having a very bizarre time like an amazing time but it's just surreal I can't believe it it was always the dream always the dream Sundance obviously but I am so 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 excited for people to see this film I really 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 think it's going to speak to the disabled community first and foremost and that's who it's for Mm -hmm. But also, yeah, I think it's very relatable. I think anybody who's ever felt other or left out or discriminated against, hopefully will be able to take something very powerful from the film. Now, no pressure to answer this question, but obviously, so we can cut this part if we need to, but obviously this is a, uh, accessibility is a topic here at the festival. We had three of the judges walk out when their captioning devices weren't working. And, and it feels like this is a, a real, and we've already spoken to Alison O'Daniel on the podcast, the uh, creator of The Tuba Thieves, which is uh, about the deaf 
and capital D deaf community and what it means to listen. And one of the things that she did in her film was cr- have open captioning. And I noticed you did too. So uh, it's it, re- it really does show that you have created a film that is for like an inclusive viewing experience. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. I guess I had a question, if you have any thoughts on like how the festival is is making space for these stories and it and how it is a work in progress. Yeah, thank you. The Tube of Thieves is amazing, isn't it? Alison's it is. my friend and I'm a huge fan oh. and I yeah, I was really moved by her film. Uh yeah, yeah. It was it was never a question in my mind to yeah, you know, say I need an interpreter and also to have open captions. The captions are a work in progress. I'm a tiny bit insecure about them because, yeah, I think I need to consult more with deaf and hard of hearing people to get them right because yeah. I'm not entirely sure. And like I've got a hard of hearing friend who I've discussed it with, but I think I need to speak to more people. But anyway, I'm trying. I'm yeah. <laughs> making the effort. Well, it's um, being, uh, I feel like it. it is evolving. Captioning is evolving in real time. And Allison was getting so many inbound requests for how to approach this that she created like a page on her website on like everything you need to know. But I do think that that film, for example, is an ex- is something that will be breaking barriers and changing the way that captioning works, which is so exciting to see. Yeah, it's really exciting, isn't it? And I'm going to check her, her page out or whatever I, I need to. Now, let's talk about crafting the film from a post-production standpoint. Were you involved in any labs or markets to start getting it out there or were you all navigating it all from a sort of like one person show standpoint? I'm really sorry. I missed the beginning of the question. Were you asking about po- post-production? Yeah. Like after you had filmed or maybe even in the earlier oh, production standpoint, were you, how, what support were you receiving? Were you working in development labs or did you have a production company attached? Uh, yeah, I, I did a doc lab, chicken and egg pictures. Um, that's where I met Alison actually. It was, it was great. I think it was great. It was a shame that it was online. I was desperate to go to New York, Yeah, but um, no, it was, it was pretty amazing. Like for, I think actually I was just so very inspired by the other projects and that's kind of how I learn, I think, is absorbing other art and kind of, yeah. yeah. Is is that okay? Oh, I was just checking. Oh, sorry. All good, all good. Uh, Yeah, it was good. So so Chicken and Egg was, uh, and when you went into that lab in particular, because a lot of our audience, they are uh, emerging filmmakers who are applying to these labs and sometimes in getting into them. When you went in, did you have a particular goal? What stage were you at with the with the project? Um, I think it was I think it was a couple of years ago. So I was I'd done a bit of shooting, but not loads, basically. No, yeah, the best thing about the chicken and egg doc lab for me was watching each other's work and giving feedback, but being able to say what feedback <laughs> you're after. Because mm. I find feedback very annoying. Um <laughs> In le- like because whatever your work's not going to be for everyone, and I might know that something is good, and I do not need feedback on that element of it. So it was useful for me saying, please don't say like they gave us the opportunity to say this is what I want feedback in, right, right, or on rather, because sometimes you'll get feedback that's like. I-, I remember somebody gave me feedback on something that was in a rough cut stage, and they're like, "Well, I just don't like the casting," and I'm like, "Well." too bad. 
There's nothing we can do about that. Yeah. But thanks for your thoughts. Thanks yeah. for your thoughts. Now, you premiered yesterday, right? Yes. How was that? It was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, definitely still absorbing it. But, you know, big audience and everyone was laughing and crying at the right points. <laughs> um, and the Q&A was really good as well, which is great because I was very nervous about that, but I felt ready. Um, They're not always good. The Q&As are... N- Hit or miss, I think. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite question that came in through the Q&A? Oh. Oh, God. I can't remember any now. I feel like that would be a moment where I just completely black out. Like, I was like, yes, I was there. I don't remember a single thing. Yes, exactly. I think that's a... Oh, no worries. Now that people have seen it, was there something that, that somebody caught, like, took away from the film that you didn't expect? It's hard to say. I mean, I didn't... I was so overwhelmed. I didn't stick around for ages afterwards. So there was a lot of congratulations. It's amazing. And people were crying and um, saying that I'm amazing and stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, I didn't, I, I don't remember. It. I'm very glad that it seems to be connecting with people in the way I want it to for the most part. So nothing has surprised me yet. Is there, is there anything that you're privately proud of that nobody has noticed yet? I think that the film is quite cleverly crafted, even though it's, as I said, hodgepodge. I don't even know if that's the right phrase, (laughs) even though, you know, it's like a jumble of kind of different formats and stuff. I'm yet to hear anyone say it's sophisticated filmmaking. I think because it's such a personal film, I've had a lot of compliments about my character, about my story and about feeling connected to me. But I would love to hear more people say like, this is a clever piece of work. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you weave so many different narratives and stories into it. So oh, can I say that? Very Please. sophisticated filmmaking and a clever piece of work. Truly. Thank though. you. You l- laugh. I think something that can make you laugh and cry, like, that is... And, and on top of that, I, I think that there is an element of things working so well that people don't notice. They just lose themselves in the emotion um, and don't notice the filmmaking, which is like (laughs) a blessing and a curse because I sometimes I'm like, well, did you notice the sound design choice that I made there? They're like, no, I was just feeling excited that they got together in the end. And I was like, yeah, but like we used an ultrasound noise. They're like, that's actually pulling from birth, rebirth. I've never used that. (laughs) Um, That's, that's awesome. Now, when you had previously worked in short film, short narrative, right? Um, what was it like moving to a uh, feature? Um, I made, I had made a short documentary, but yes, my f- sort of first love is is writing and directing f- fiction. But I guess, yeah, it was it was such a lengthy process, and it was such a sort of intimate, slow process that I didn't really notice I was making a feature until. I was in the editing suite. <laughs> I think that's it. I mean, it was crazy. Like, actually, it's, it, was, it was a dream. Like, it was dreamy. And this is the first time that I've had, like, an, well, can I say that? My producer was so amazing. She's so pro. She's like... What's so, her name? Janine Marmot is my producer. She's, yeah, so experienced and supportive. And it was the first time that I'd felt like I could sit back and relax a bit with all the kind of practicality stuff practical what's the word logistical stuff yes yes Um, actually it was dreamy yeah it was it was easier than making (laughs) making shorts i found 
Oh my, you're you're inspiring me even more now. It's, <laughs> you're, this gives me hope because shorts, and and maybe this is because shorts require often the directors to be producers as well. And you're calling in so many favors and you're not getting into the flow of production as easily. And maybe then you get it on the last day and then you're like, well, it's done. We shot all the pages. How was the working relationship with your producer? How did you guys meet? And what was it like working with her beyond dreaming? Uh, So I met Janine in, I guess, 2018. Maybe. It was after I had got development funding from the BFI Doc Society uh, and and my exec, Lisa Marie Rousseau, suggested Janine. I, I spoke to a few producers, but me and Janine really clicked immediately. And yeah, I'll never forget meeting her because I just found out I was pregnant, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a spoiler, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I just found out I was pregnant and I remember I told her and I was feeling really sick when we met and I traveled to go and meet her and... I don't know. Yeah, I had a really strong gut feeling that she was the right person for the job. So I asked her then and there to be the producer. Um, and yes, I don't know. She's so, so, so awesome. But but also, like, we had our differences, definitely. Like, she's, we, we both learned so much from each other. She doesn't identify as disabled, for example. So we've had our differences there. But also, mm-hmm. she is such an amazing ally. Um, and she was then, but also like now she is, she really gets it because she's seen it firsthand. She's seen me experiencing ableism and she's seen me, well, just that. So yeah, I feel very lucky. How can filmmakers, especially in the indie space, be allies? What have you seen as like the best allyship in your experience? I think thinking about everybody's access needs as like, at the very initial stages of any project is the most important thing and what nobody does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it needs to be the absolute priority that everybody feels equal. So yeah, I don't know. Right up front, it's like a part of the conversation in the kickoff initial everything. Yes, yes definitely. Even people who don't identify as disabled will have certain access needs. So mm-hmm. I think it's about, yeah, having having some proper serious conversations about how everyone can feel as comfortable as possible. Yeah. Now, what advice do you have for emerging filmmakers? Somebody who uh, maybe they've done a short or two and they're endeavoring to make their first feature doc. Okay. My advice is very general, but it's very, I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) Even though it might sound basic, it's not. You must, must, must stick to your gut. Like if you absolutely know something is right, then it is. Yeah, don't take feedback to heart unless it strikes a chord because I've ignored so much feedback and now I'm in Sundance. Um, (laughs) I love that. But um, Oh yeah, and the other thing, again, this is quite cliche, but important, I think, is to make the most of the connections that you make along your filmmaking journey. Like, yeah, the connections that I made when doing my shorts, no doubt, have helped me to a huge degree get to where I am now making my first feature and stuff so yeah be really nice to everyone and work out who your people are and be very nice to important people with power (laughs) (laughs) unless they're assholes I feel like we're actually going to talk about this on our update podcast which our listeners will have probably heard beforehand but there's this weird thing that has been reoccurring at Sundance just in the networking element where it's like there are the 
people in power that are just mean. And, and I kind of want to like give myself permission to be okay with not working with them. Yeah. I really wish that I hadn't answered that question with that. Um, I don't think I meant be nice to people in power. I think I'm oh, more... the good ones. You said yes, the good yes. ones, the yeah. good ones, like make, make the most of the connections that you make. Cause you never know what could sort of benefit you and like creatively or in terms of your career or whatever. But yes, no, don't be nice to horrible people in power. Absolutely not. I, I don't, I'm not nice to horrible people. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's, I think a younger me was felt like there was something wrong with me if I wasn't impressing like the the name in the room. And now I'm like, well, I don't really want to work with somebody who's going to make people feel uncomfortable like that. And yeah, no, I'm thinking now I've, I've definitely experienced a couple of times speaking to very important people who were very, very horrible and, or, you know, very dismissive or whatever. And I try not to hold a grudge, but equally like, fuck them. Yeah. I'm like, this is information. And I'm like, you're dead to me. Yeah. (laughs) Good to know. Um, Well, thank you so much for joining. Where can our listeners follow your your work? Ah, see, I don't really have a website or anything, but um, I'm on Instagram. So it's Ella, E-double-L-A underscore B, B B-double-E underscore the letter G, but not the letter G. L-F-B-G. Oh, nice. nice. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Again, Ella's film is, is there anybody out there? It'll be coming your way soon. So watch. Thanks. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. My name is Gigi Hawkins. I'm here with Loretta Prevo and Laura Valadeo. Two DPs of Sundance Films here at the festival. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So tell me, uh, uh, let's first introduce a little bit about your films in particular that you worked on. Sure. So I was the cinematographer on the feature film Fremont that's in the next program, uh, directed by Babak Jalali. And Laura, you're also a Bay Area Native. I am. I'm a Bay Area native, and uh, the film is called Fremont, which is actually where I grew up coincidentally, and we shot in the Bay Area, which was great. It was a homecoming movie for me in a lot of ways. Nice. How about you, Loretta? Um, I work a lot as a cinematographer on narrative and doc, but on the project I have here, I was a camera operator. Uh, It's called It's Only Life After All. It's a documentary on the Indigo Girls based on a lot of archival footage. Jessica Bennett was the DP and Alexandria Bombach was the director who also, oh, I guess Jessica Bennett is technically the cinematographer along with another fellow. And Alexandra Bombach is the director of photography for some pieces and also the director. Right. Can you actually both tell me a little bit about what the film is about? So the, we'll start with the the your film. So the Indigo Girls um, are two women who are musicians. And this project is um, based on a lot of archival and an in-depth interview that went on for a number of days. And Amy and Emily are the two rock star musicians. And Amy shot a lot throughout the years. So this project is kind of like a look back at their career in life and they're um, very popular with their fans. A number of their fans really think that they saved their lives. They're very into different activist causes and they've had like a long career of really supporting um, groups. Great. And how about Fremont? 
Fremont is about a young woman who is a refugee from Afghanistan, and she moves to Northern California to a city called Fremont, which is a suburb of San Francisco. And it's heavy. It's about her processing her experiences uh, in Afghanistan, but it's also about starting over in a new place and how strange that can be and uh, what it's like to find your way. Great. Thank you. Um, So how did you both book these respective jobs? Yeah. So I actually was recommended for the project by a mutual friend of the producer. And uh, the the film was looking for someone who could work as a local in the Bay Area. And I'm based in New York, but I love to, to work in the Bay as much as possible. So that was something that I could do. And then when I, I went in to interview with the producer and we hit it off and then I got to sit down with Babak, the director, and we were really aligned in our vision for the project. And uh, yeah, we just sort of went from there. And I'll say I'm 39 and a number of years ago, I feel like I kind of grew up with Jess ben- Bennett in like the indie indie narrative world. I used to work as an AC. She's a very talented key grip. So we'd been friends. And then one of the best things that's happened for my career in the last few years is I'm just part of this text thread of about 20 DPs. And we happen to all be women. It was started by a couple of friends and then a couple of people have been added And that's been like a real positive in terms of recommending each other for jobs and then also just like general support. Like, I don't know, it's a very like safe space. Sometimes someone will be like, oh, I I can't figure out how to light this. But yeah, so Jessica, either Jessica posted in that group or wrote me directly and we were filming down in Georgia during COVID. So we were doing a very small crew. Mm -hmm. So I'm the operator, but we had three cameras and it was just Jess and I. So I was also ACing and like we were setting up three different cameras. So yeah, I guess friendship and then just like support from other filmmakers. Right. My name in the hat. I love this text text thread situation. Does it have a name? I just got an iPhone, so I know you can label. Yeah. So I actually really recommend joining a text thread with your friends and naming it. Uh, <laughs> we named it, someone named it Reinas de la Luz, which is Queens of the Light in Spanish. Very obnoxious. But I do think just by the fact that it's named, it's helped us a little bit. Some, um, I forget who, but someone was at a party with someone from Fuji Films and was chatting them up about this text thread. And because of that, We'd like gone to a dinner. They supported some of us going to Camera Image, the film festival in Poland. Wow. And it's really just a text thread, but it is like kind of a very organic, supportive group. Cool. Well, I love that. Now, when you both started on this, these projects, were there new tech challenges that you hadn't experienced while making the movie? So our film is in black and white, and that's something that we decided on fairly early in the process. And it's not necessarily a new technical challenge, but deciding how we wanted to shoot the black and white and how we wanted to treat the black and white um, and what we were going to do in camera and what we were going to do in post was a big conversation early on. And we ended up shooting on an Alexa mini. We recorded, uh, you know, the footage coming out of the camera was in color, but we developed a series of shooting lights Um after some pretty extensive camera tests using different lighting, we tested different colors of light, thinking about, I do a lot of still um, film photography in black and white, and I do a lot of playing with filters in that capacity. Uh, so we did some testing to see if that was something that we wanted to play with 
in developing our black and white look on this. Uh, we actually decided against it. We shot everything with pretty neutral, neutral, uh, natural lighting colors, but we did make some choices as far as wardrobe and production design and makeup based on these LUTs that we developed in camera that we used to shoot the film. What, for example, and I, I bring this up because there's another film here called Mami Wata, and we direct we interviewed the cinematographer and CJ, the director, about how they crafted the set design and the makeup mm-hmm. and the costumes for black and white. And mm-hmm. I was like, I never thought of that, but it added so much richness to the image. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what was an example of something that you were like making a decision about mm-hmm. because it looked better once you did the camera tests? So many things. Um, we didn't do anything too strange. We were working with a lot of non-actors. And so I felt strongly that I didn't want to have wacky lighting colors or, or, you know, really crazy makeup or anything like that, which you can do sometimes in black and white and can yeah. be really powerful. But we wanted to keep everything feeling like it was from this planet just in this space for the sake of the performances and the actors. But we noticed that in our lets that we developed reds, for example, looked very black. In fact, more more black than black sometimes. And so sometimes if we wanted something very dark, we would maybe go for a red instead of a black. But one thing I noticed pretty early on was that texture was so important in black and white because you don't have that color information to uh, to help you understand the space and to help you understand the depth. And so really leaning into working with different textures with the production designer and also with the costume designer was really important. And they both brought so many great options to the table as far as textiles and just different textures in the space um, that really made a difference. And that really impacted the way that we lit the film as well. Great. Now, um, I I actually want to come back to working with non-actors, which Mm -hmm. is also relevant for your your experience. But uh, what was the biggest technical challenge that you had to overcome on on your film, Loretta? I also got to do black and white twice recently for like a film noir and a short, and it was super fun. Well, we were shooting, so we shot interviews down in Georgia, and we were shooting during COVID pre, you know, kind of months after it had started, but also Mm pre-vaccine. So there was a bunch of COVID testing, and then we ended up, um, everyone in this huge warehouse space, was wearing masks and then our director was very far away and unmasked and we did oh, I forget what you call it but when you project and teratron or one of those things where you know it looks like the eyeline is direct to camera um but we this is not like that complicated of a technical challenge but we did someone's test and it come back either Amy's or, or Emily's are our two you know leads that we're interviewing like they, they had a faulty test but we were going to go forward anyway everyone's been kind of like isolating first so we did end up building like around the camera just giant you know four four by eight boards on the left and the right and over to kind of stop breath because it was this you know wild time and it was a little unclear we didn't have hard science on how things like went across so and I was probably one of the slightly more concerned people about it. So Jess, uh-huh. Jess was very great. At, like we, we gripped out very large areas around both cameras to like limit airflow. Now, um, it, working in the doc space, you're obviously working with non-actors. You mentioned in Fremont, Laura, that you were working with non-actors. In both of your careers, what is it like working with non-actors, period, like from a camera perspective? I think it really depends on the director. I've worked with some directors that 
are are really good at it and understand um, when have casted well, first of all, but really understand what's possible and how to get the best performance out of someone who's acting for the first time. And I've also worked with directors that sort of assume it will kind of work out as if they're working with a trained actor, which isn't always the case. But on this film, uh, our lead actually was a, a first time actor and uh, she Man, she has such a great story. So she actually is a refugee from Afghanistan that came over on one of the evacuation flights when the Taliban took over. And so at the time that we shot the film, she'd only been in the U.S. for a handful of months. And while this isn't a documentary and the story in the script isn't based on her life, it was something that was very close to home for her. Mm -hmm. And she was just absolutely incredible the first sort of week she was figuring out, you know, what is it like to be on set and what is it like to be on camera and what is this whole circus? And by the second week, she was like hitting marks and she was standing in for eyeline and she had figured out all of this technical Uh acting that it was just really incredible on top of just giving these performances that were amazing. We would constantly be at monitor just like, oh my God, watching her. So that was really fantastic. And it was it was really, really humbling to work with her. So I worked on the short film called Anna Tevka with this director, Daniel Dorschlag, that just premiered last week in the New York Jewish Film Festival at the Lincoln Center. Congrats. We had, thank you. And we had a bunch of children, like seven and eight-year-old children in our project that were not that had not acted before. And I think it was totally all about Danielle's attitude and I have such a like crush on her as a human like she's just such a very warm like welcoming person she did a screening for these kids after where she made them all a Oscar statue and gave them all Oscars with their headshot and so yeah it was in that case it was very much about this person like really setting this like warm cozy easy vibe and in that project it was like a bunch of kids putting on a play that they're not going to do that great anyway so it's like kind Mm. of part of it that they're not (laughs) actors but yeah, she she did a great job at like setting a very comfortable tone. Nice. Now, we were talking before we came in about how you're here at the festival. This is your second time here, Laura. How many times have you been, Laura? I've come kind of a lot. I haven't been in a number of years. I've never had anything here as a DP, but I'll have like a couple days that I operated on things. Yeah. Maybe maybe fourth or fifth. So, so as a DP coming here to network to to see films, how do how do you approach the festival? Well, yeah, this year I'm a little bit deeply embarrassed that the only film I've seen is ours, the Indigo Girls doc. I'm really hopeful. Zero I'm, shame. There's zero ooh, shame. Tonight's my last night. I'm going to get something in where uh, Laura has a ticket and I'm hoping to go to The Stroll, which our friend Sarah Kinney DP'd and also DP Jessica Bennett um, operated a little bit on. But no, this year, I mean, I've only here a few days and I totally approached it as just networking and like reconnecting with people and meeting new people. And I'll say that it's the first time I've really felt like an adult here that Mm -hmm. like, you know, I walk into like a room and like, I know enough of the people they've hired me or I've hired them. And, and that is a great feeling. Like, I feel like a grown up. Whereas in the past, I was kind of like, Oh, wow. I, I somehow I got to be in this room. I don't know how it happened, but here I am, you know, do you think it's because you continue to come to the festival with an intention of like building connections? No, I think it's just that I'm 39 and I've been doing this for 18 years and you meet a lot of people and you end up working and supporting and if not working together, at least meeting them at things. Joining a text thread, (laughs) starting the text thread. How about you, Laura? 
I want to actually just shout out. Uh, I realized I didn't mention our lead actress's name when we were talking mm-hmm. about her. So it's Anaita Wali Zedan. I hope I'm pronouncing the last name correctly, but she was really fantastic. So I wanted to make sure I shouted out her name. Um, it's been it's been such a fun festival. I was here in 2019 with a feature called Premature that was also in the next program, and it's been so nice to be back after COVID. Um, like Loretta said, there's so many familiar faces and just going back to the Bay thing, this is such a big year for Bay Area films. Mm-hmm. There's so many films, features and shorts from the Bay Area this year. And we were sort of walking down the hill as Earth, the Earth Mama premiere had gotten out. And it was so cool. It was just, we were just passing so many old friends that we, you know, hadn't seen in a long time and, and starting conversations about what comes next. And so I think that's the greatest thing about networking is meeting new people, but also running into people you've known for a while and just getting to catch up about, you know, what the, the next project is. Mm-hmm. For for somebody that is, you know, deciding while listening to this that they're going to come next year and, and they don't have the established network, they're not at Loretta level yet. <laughs> um, how would you recommend they approach the festival, especially from, again, like a camera department perspective? Well, for No Film School years ago, I wrote an article on Gendra Darnigan, a DP who's come here a lot and uh-huh. is very good at networking. So you That was m- what it was about? <laughs> networking find- at Sundance. Yeah. We have to find that. <laughs> I still send it to people. And, but those were like good tips of like, you know, pack a sandwich so you don't skip a party because you need to go get lunch or whatever. I, I actually think I read this before, yeah. before coming here. <laughs> She's smart at it. <laughs> I would say, and like, I don't know to what extent this serves people in their career or not. But like, I really like just being personable and being a real person. And like, I'm sincerely interested in like what people are doing. And mm-hmm. it, and I feel like a lot of the conversations you have at these parties are like kind of giving someone an opportunity to shine. Like, I want to know what you did. I love introducing someone that I'm like, oh, have you met Laura? Her project won this, co- you know, grant. And, and it's like a great, I don't know. I, I think there's a genesis qua life being a human thing that- yeah. Hopefully it comes back around, but that's not even, you know, it's just like a nice way to be a person. So I would say if someone was coming and didn't have um, a lot of the pre-established networks, I think that there's a lot to be said for pre-production for this festival. Like if you know you're coming ahead, reach out to your friends, your DPs or directors or producers, your production companies, if you have relationships with houses. And um, yeah, and... And then, like, it's okay if I don't get invited. I feel like I wrote a couple places. I was like, hey, if you're, I'm out here with this project. If you're doing something, I'd be charmed to say hello. If you're not, no worries. Congrats on your thing. And that, you know, and then if they have space, they're they're happy to invite you. And then a lot of it, too, is, like, just, you know, you, you might not have plans for tonight, but you run into someone and you're going to have some fun, weird little time that the wasn't little what you expected. little adventures, yeah. Those are some of the best, the best Sundance experiences. Yeah, yesterday we were leaving the Ari lunch and we were walking down the sidewalk with Christine Ng and and as we were walking, she started collecting people and we were like a parade moving to this house party by the time that we got there. And it was just one of these magical <laughs> Sundance moments. I don't know. I think for me, networking is not something that comes naturally at all. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like it. <laughs> um, but I would say don't be afraid to ask if you do know a few people at the festival or, you know, that, that have films or connected in some way. Don't be afraid to ask if you can be the plus one to a party that they're going to or mm-hmm. if they'll introduce you to someone that, you know, maybe you'd like to talk to. And I think that you'll get further than you'd imagine that way. 
and and I'll add to that because I've come to this lot and I have like the best time and it's so fun at parties and, and I'm not very good at following up. And I think the whole game is following up. And I believe gender used to like take a week off after and like literally write everyone. And it really matters. Yeah. Like, you know, you have these sincere connections that are positive at a thing, but like, unless you really like connect and have them on your radar, then, you know, that it, it doesn't really click. Yeah, that that totally makes sense. And I think it's easy to be like, Uh, I have your card or we followed each other on Instagram. But then it's like, okay, well, we've had the spark of a connection. Like, what does that look like down the line? Which I think is critical for building a career and and figuring out like jobs and, and getting invited into the cool text groups. I'm obsessed with this text group. I can add to that that I think so much... Because now, now you know so many people and then there's there's Instagram and there's Twitter and all there's all this stuff that I think it's kind of like staying on someone's radar. So I personally don't think I do too much with Instagram. I know some people like become Instagram friends with everyone and that's how they end up connecting. Um, you know, I, I wish I sent emails to everyone once a year or, or every six months to yeah. just kind of like remind someone you exist. And yeah, I feel a little embarrassed, but every now and then I'll put like a picture of me at work on Instagram and like half the time I get a job out of it because someone just literally remembers you're alive. Wow, that's awesome. As as you're sort of moving into this next year, uh, do you have any goals that you're setting based on conversations that you've had or information that you gathered? Because you mentioned going to the Ari lunch uh, and coming to the Zeiss party, like all these things that feel like it, industry leaders are trying to create a space for for filmmakers on the technical side, have you had any learnings from those those events? Like on a technical, like your perspective? Like, <laughs> I, I actually have not been into any of the the uh, camera parties. Um, and so I'm like, are they saying like, and here's the new Ari? It's not that. Okay. We're just hanging out. Oh, okay. Okay. So you're, it is just the networking and they're creating a space to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think... Um, I guess I hadn't thought of this as a goal, but now that we say it, I do. I think I will rejoin the union as an operator, and now just like kind of feeling like a grown up. I'm like, oh, I know a lot of DPs and operators now. Like, those are those are connections I could like follow out and reach out to. Um, I haven't done a lot of learning new gear here. I know there's a Canon Lounge, but I didn't. Oh, thank you for the party, guys. But I didn't <laughs> dig in too deeply to their new things. But people just mentioned things. Someone mentioned the C70 and that he really likes shooting with that. And it, I don't know. I try to take good notes at the end of every night to be like, oh, oh smart. this person or this piece of gear. Or like, oh, yeah, I remember I want to write for this or try to follow up on that. Because otherwise, it's just so much. It kind of flows over you. Yeah, that's a great tip. Okay, well, then as we wrap up here, what advice do you want to give to creators who are on their way to making a project like the ones you have here at Sundance or ones that you have outside of Sundance? What advice do you have for these emerging filmmakers? My biggest advice is to find your people, find the people that you want to collaborate with who challenge you and inspire you and who you believe in. And it's not always easy to find those people where your visions are aligned. It might take some time, but once you figure that out and build those relationships, it's it's the best thing you can do. It's so powerful. And that's what I would recommend. It's great advice. I'm, I'm just double checking her name. I'm, oh, Shanna, Shanna Hagen. Am I saying it right? Shanna Hagen is a DP who's had her 21st project here. And she was telling me how like her first oh. project um, didn't do that well here and then ended up winning an Oscar. So there's something to be said for like, you know, just because one little crowd doesn't love it. If it's something you believe in, like con- continuing to push for. 
And I really like what you said. Like it's, you get one life and you might as well spend it with people you like and, and help and like support the, the people that you think need it and, and try to interact with the other people that you like being around. Now, Loretta, where can people follow you and find your work? Um, I have a website, which is my name, which is LorettaPrevo.com. How about you, Laura? I also have a very creative website that is my name, uh, lauravalladejo.com. DP websites are the best websites. I feel like they're just stunning always. So, Oh, can I drop one more line? Yeah, please. We were, so we were talking a lot on our walk over here about like different women issues. And like, I love that we did this whole interview and didn't really focus and double down on like what it's like to be a female DP. Because sometimes you spend all of this time not talking about the creativity, but talking about that. But that said, one thing that has really stood out to me this Sundance is how many women DPs are in the room. And we're just coming from the 600 party. And I've been there a lot in the past. And it's a lot of great white guys. And this year, like there was really sincerely a lot of women and people of color. And I think I just want to say like a thank you to anyone that puts any effort into hiring and recommending people that are not in their main demographic and that are not in the most priv privileged demographic. And it, it definitely takes like a little more effort to like get the right names in the hat, but it makes such a big deal for, for some of those folks. So thank you anyone that's listening that like goes out of your way to look up someone in a position that you can also consider recommending. That's it. I Thanks y'all. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing uh, your insights into the festival and your careers. I know our listeners are going to love it. Thank you to our guests, Ella Glendinning, as well as cinematographers Loretta Prevo and Laura Valadeo. I, and thank you to our listeners. I hope that you're feeling prepared prepared to share your story, prepared to put yourself out there, prepared to produce your festival experience. I think that this conversation shows us that if you bring your full self to a festival, to a film, to a, any project, and you support others and help others shine, you will also find your place. So thank you again for listening. And you can like rate and subscribe to the No Film School podcast. You can also find us on the web at nofilmschool.com. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, and send your questions to editor at nofilmschool.com. Thanks for listening.